0: that's what we pray that you would come and fill our lives fill every person here fill this room fill my mouth with your words that we might be able to hear from you and what you have for us this morning we pray amen well friends we've been in for the last seven weeks we've been in a sermon series entitled resurrected life and we've been discussing how the risen jesus can resurrect us from the seven deadly sins And we've discussed six out of the seven already. We've we've talked about pride and envy and gluttony and greed and lust and anger. And now today, we get to talk about sloth. And today is also Pentecost Sunday, and so we're celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit. And you might be wondering, well, how does the coming of the Spirit and resurrected life and sloth all go together in one sermon? Well, you're going to find out today. (laughs) So sloth, you might wonder, why is sloth considered one of the seven deadly sins? You 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 might understand some of the other ones, pride or anger or greed. But sloth? I mean, we've even named a cute animal after sloth. You know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what sloth is in our world today. You know, I think we often think sloth as slow moving and being lazy. And I think we, we think of it as depicted in this scene in Zootopia, where there's a police officer in a rush headed to the DMV, And she finds out that the DMV is run by all sloths. And you'll see what happens next. (laughs) And this was going to be quick. Are you saying that because he's a sloth, he can't be fast? I thought in Zootopia, anyone could be anything. Flash, Flash, 100-yard dash. Buddy, it's nice to see you. Nice to see you, too.
1: Hey, Flash, (laughs)
0: I'd love you to meet my friend. Uh, darling, I've forgotten your name. Hmm. Officer Judy Hopps, CPD, how are you? I am doing... Just fine. As well as I can be. Hmm. What? Hang in there. Can I do? Well, I was hoping you could run a play for you. Well, I was hoping you could. <laughs> you know, we, I think when we think about sloth, sometimes we think about that slow-moving actions. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to deliver the sermon like that. Uh, But I think when we think of sloth, we think of being slow. We think of maybe laziness or laying around and not getting stuff done. Uh, but, But when the Christian tradition talks about sloth, it does not mean that. It doesn't mean mere laziness. Now, the word sloth, it comes from the Latin word acedia, which literally means without care. Without care. Sloth in the Christian tradition, it's more, it might be, more along the lines of the word that we use for apathy. Being without care, or not caring enough about what matters most in life. And I want to give you a definition that I think maybe helps capture everything I'm going to say this morning. And here it is. Sloth is apathy towards loving yourself, loving others, and loving God. Sloth is apathy towards loving yourself, loving others, and loving God. The root of sloth, it's this lack of love. It's a lack of care and concern for that which is most important in life. So this means that sloth is not necessarily about how much you work or how hard you work. You could be a workaholic. You could work all the time and still be apathetic about loving yourself, loving others, and loving God. So sloth is not about work, and sloth is also not about adequate rest. It's not about taking time off of work. You can rest, we need, we need rest, we need Sabbath, we need, we need retreats, and you can take that time off and you can still have tremendous commitment to loving yourself, to loving others, and to loving God. So sloth, it's not about work and it's not about rest. We all know we need a proper balance of those two things. Sloth is about the heart. It's about the condition of your heart. And when, you, when it's at root in your heart, it's a heart that begins not to care enough about God or others or yourself to move you out of comfort. Because that's what the sloth does. The sloth craves comfort and ease. It wants things to be comfortable. And so because of that, the slothful begins to resist effort and exertion or work. And so this attitude of sloth, this heart of sloth, it's absolutely deadly to your soul. It's absolutely deadly because it can cause you to resist everything that makes your life abundant and meaningful. It can cause you to resist everything that God wants for you in your life. And so there are three, those three areas I want to talk about today, this apathy towards loving yourself, loving others, and loving God. What can we do to overcome our apathy, this sloth, so that we can live a resurrected life? So let's talk about that first area, victory over self-apathy. Let's talk about self-apathy. Now, self-apathy, it's a dangerous type of apathy because it's when you really don't care about your life or what happens to you. You're just kind of going through the motions of life. And you don't really care how bad things get or how good things get. You're just kind of living life. You're just kind of going through it. And you really have no desire to change, to change anything or to make any efforts to change your life or do something different with your life. And this is why, this, when this takes root in your life, it gets really dangerous and why you see the wisdom tradition of the Bible Especially in the Proverbs, you see all these types of warnings and encouragements to the lazy, to the slothful. Look at what Proverbs 13.4 says. The slacker craves, yet has nothing. But the diligent is fully satisfied. See, the writer of this Proverb, they're, saying, they're identifying we all have cravings in life. We all want a fulfilling, abundant life. The life that God has made, made us for. We all want that at some level. Uh, You know, as Augustine said, we are all restless until we find our rest, until we find our meaning and joy in God. But the slothful, they're unwilling to pursue that life. So they crave, they desire it, but they don't do anything about it, so they end up with nothing. How sad is that? To go through life craving and desiring something more, but you don't make any effort to attain it. Rebecca DeYoung, in her book on the seven deadly sins, she says, the slothful are inwardly unwilling to be moved, they are stuck between a self they cannot bear and a self they can't bear to become. The slothful, they're stuck. They're stuck right where they are in a way of life that they know is not vibrant, they know it's not alive, they know it's not how things are meant to be, yet they stay stuck. And the re- but here's the scary part, friends. The reality is the slothful person may not even perceive, they may not even be aware that this is taking root in their heart. Look at what Proverbs 26, 16 says. In his own eyes, a slacker is wiser than seven who can answer sensibly. You see, in their own mind, in their own understanding, the slothful thinks that things are good, that things are are okay. You may not even perceive that sloth or apathy is taking root in your heart because aren't we so good at rationalizing all our behaviors? We come up with ways to justify the ways that we live, and so we rationalize it. And so when you look at the Proverbs, I can't tell you how much this is a theme in the book of Proverbs. They're filled with sayings trying to wake you up, trying to rouse you from your sloth, and to get you out of that comfort zone. Listen to what this says in Proverbs 6, 9 through 10. I love kind of the way the phrase is, how long will you lie there? You sluggard. I think that's funny name-calling. When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. You see, the slothful person—they don't even recognize what's happening. they are saying to themselves, "Ah, a little sleep, a little slumber—that's going to be okay." And we do the same thing. Ah, I'm just going to hit the alarm clock one more time. I'm just going to scroll on social media just, just a little bit longer. Or or maybe I'll just do one more episode of The Office. You know, we just just want that one more. And we tell ourselves it's fine because the slothful is always choosing what is easier in the moment. They're choosing the easier path. And so sloth has no room for considering the long-term effects of your everyday, simple choices that you make in life. That's why this is self-apathy. You stop caring about how your choices affect you in the long term. And so even the little small things, you ask, well, maybe I should, should I turn off the TV and maybe do something, you know, that's going to bring health to my body or, or maybe I should read the Bible? Eh, I'll, I'll, finish, I'll finish another episode. You know, should I get some exercise today? Ah, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm okay. I think that's fine. I'll just rest. Should I go to bed on time? Ah, you know, just, I'll just scroll a little bit more on Instagram, it's okay. And before you know it, you've wasted night after night in front of the TV. You've wasted hours of your life looking at other people's lives on the internet. And before you know it, your health is in dire shape. You've drifted away from God. You've drifted away from family members you haven't taken the time to call. You drift away from things that are so important in your life all because you're making small little choices, small little rationalizations. And if I could, if I could just channel my, my inner proverb writer, my, my inner Solomon, if I could just try to rouse you this morning, how long are you going to keep wasting your life How long are you going to make those little choices that waste your time? When are you finally going to get around and change your life? When are you finally going to start making good choices and stop the bad ones that are harming you? Are you going to rouse yourself from your slumber? When will you finally be all in with Jesus Christ instead of just waiting in the shallow end? My friends, do not wait till the end. Don't delay To start living the abundant life in Jesus Christ. Because you only get one shot. You get one life. You get one opportunity. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, you have to care about how your choices affect yourself for the long term. To take care of yourself. To take care of the one life, the one body, the one family that God has given you. And so you got to make choices that would be good for you for the long term. And for some of you, and kind of surprisingly in a sermon on, on sloth, some of you need to get some rest. You need to find some time away with God. You need, to, you need to get that time to take care of yourself. And so I hope that you can overcome in Jesus Christ this self-apathy. But the, real, the reality is we all know that taking care of ourselves is not the primary reason for which we are made, right? I mean, if we just went through life taking care of yourself, that would be so problematic and so unhealthy that your life would be totally messed up if all you did was thought about yourself. So you got to take care of yourself, but there's two other areas that we have to talk about. And the second is the victory over neighbor apathy. Victory over neighbor apathy. DeYoung, she calls sloth, listen to this phrase, a comfortable indifference. A comfortable indifference to duty and neglect of other human beings' needs. If you won't work hard, you don't care enough. Sloth becomes a sin, not merely because it makes us lazy, but because of the lack of love that lies behind the laziness. So being lazy towards the needs of others, it reveals the heart of sloth and apathy in your life, the lack of love towards your neighbor. And you know the sloth, they crave comfort, they crave life how they have planned it, and so opportunities to serve now becomes an interruption. An opportunity to love, that becomes a nuisance. The sloth wants their day exactly as they desire it. And people become an interruption in their life instead of an opportunity to love a fellow human being. And the sloth, again, they may not perceive that this is happening. That's why this sin is so deadly. You may not perceive it. They think they love people, but their actions prove otherwise. Listen to what 1 John 3.16-18 through 18 says. It's on the screen. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, no care, no concern, no love, no, ap- no affection, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. If you have no pity, no concern, that's that apathy, apathy towards others. It leads us to not loving as Jesus Christ calls us to. So when you see someone in need and you don't care, that's sloth, that's apathy. And of all, of all the seven deadly sins, I have to admit, this is the one that I feel creeping up in my heart the most. You know, we live, we live in a very connected age. You know, you, you see stuff all the, all the time happening on the news, happening on the internet. You see disaster after disaster, floods, mass shootings, things happening all the time. People who need clean water, people who need food, And honestly, I don't think I'm alone in saying this, it can feel overwhelming. It can feel overwhelming, all the things to care about, all the people to care about, the people in our church who need help and care. It can feel overwhelming. And then what happens is we begin to use sloth as a defense against caring about the world. So we kind of shut it out a little bit. We stop caring. We let our heart harden a little more. And further and further along you go and you stop caring about others. We use it as a defense mechanism. You know, I believe the Holy Spirit gave me a verse a few years ago, four or five years ago, that I'm, I'm still trying to work on in my life. And, uh, and he brought it, brought it up to me, and it's, it's Titus 2.14. And, and Paul is talking, and he says, Jesus, he, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his possession. Who do what? Who are eager, eager to do good works. Eager. They have a desire, there's a passion, there's an affection. I mean, he's saying that Jesus saved us, he died on the cross and rose again so that there would be a people in the world who are eager to help, who are eager to serve, who are eager to love. And I have to admit, sometimes I'm not always eager as I should be. And that's something the Holy Spirit needs to work on in our lives. Have you ever met other Christians who aren't very eager to do good or to volunteer? I think that's that's something we all struggle with. We should be eager to do good because that's exactly what Jesus saved us for. And I think one of the most important ways that we become people who are eager to do good is the way that we have our life together in the body. And when we practice that as a community. You know, we identified this, this effort to be focused outreach and new, a renewed community. And the reality is it's going to take every single person fully engaged, in the ways that God has gifted them, and all of that, for that to become a reality in the life of this church. And I want to give you a phrase that may be the most amazing, revolutionary thing you'll ever hear. It takes a church to be a church. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's like saying it takes a piano to have a piano. But seriously, it takes a church, it takes a whole group of people to be the body of Christ as Jesus intends it to be. It takes every single person being engaged in the life of the community for us to, to do and be what the Holy Spirit is empowering us and calling us to do. And I'm so glad we have many people engaged in ways that we don't even see. We have all these teachers and people up here serving, all the people in the 6K recently. Uh, but my friends, it's, it's gonna take, it might take even more than that. And it might take every single person being engaged at every level. Uh, because it takes more than just serving on Sundays only. It's going to take a whole lifestyle of us being engaged in this. As Jesus said, can we lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters, even those who sit next to you in church? And if I can rouse us to this vision, how long, how long will we be content with just being Sunday morning only church? And this is why I became a pastor. I'm so concerned about the state of church in America today. We primarily are the We express ourselves mainly on Sunday morning. How long will we we be content not knowing the people in our church, not inviting them into our homes, not reaching our neighbors and seeing new people come to Christ? How long are we going to be content with that? How much longer? How many more years until we do outreach? We need this for our church. We need to be engaged. We need to say, yes, I'm going to invite you into my life. I'm going to open up space in my home. I'm going to open up my dinner table. I'm going to make sure that I'm engaged when these doors are open. If I'm available, I'm going to try to come. If you're in the hospital, I'm going to come see you. If you're sick, I'm going to write you a card. I mean, these are the things that bring life and vibrancy to the body where we overcome our apathy to one another. Will you overcome your apathy to your brothers and sisters and be engaged in their lives? I want to be in your life. Will you be in mine? That's what we all have to say to one another. What if everyone, was as committed to this body as you? And what if, let me ask you, think about that question, and let me ask you another one. What if every single one of us, every person in Faith Covenant Church, raised their commitment just by a notch this year? If you th- think about it, if every person said, you know, what, I'm going to be this much more, one step more committed than I was last year. Can you imagine how that would change the culture of our church? And what if we did that every year? Okay, year two, I'm going I'm to go one step a little more. I'm going to dive in a little bit more. And I want to give a word, a word to our parents, moms and dads. I believe that your children are learning from you what it means to be a member of a church. And I believe that they will likely grow up to be just as committed to the church as you are. In fact, if it's low commitment, they might not even think it's that important. They, they might be one of the one out of every two high school students who graduates out of youth ministries and then they don't go back to the church we need, we need your example in the church to set an example. And if you're one of the grandparents, that goes for you. If you're one of the older members in our church, you're setting an example right now where the younger people are asking, what does it mean to, to live into Christ in my older age? What does it mean to be a church member in my older age? Do I fade to the background or do I stay engaged? Do I stop caring or do I, start, do I stay caring? That's the questions the younger folks are asking. And I have to say to you, to you who are single, I thank God for you. I bless you because you are showing us what it means to be a committed to a church without any secondary gain for your own children. You know, at least like we can drop off our kids to the nursery and nice programs and things like that. But you've adopted our kids into your life. And so I thank God for you. I bless you for that. You are showing us what it means to be a member of a church with no gain for your own family. You're doing it out of the love for Christ. And I thank you for that. You see, being a committed member of a church This is the best antidote to sloth that I can think of. It is the absolute best antidote to sloth. And when we do this, when this becomes the culture of our church, it's going to lead to outreach. The more that we care and commit, the more we're going to care about and spreading that to other people. And this is what the Holy Spirit did, right? Do you remember Jesus said, Wait, then you'll be my witnesses. Friends, we're in the age of the Spirit already. We don't have to wait. The Holy Spirit's already here. And he's saying, go. Go, I send you out into the community. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us overcome our apathy to the world so that we can be engaged. The last area I want to talk about this morning is victory over God apathy. Victory over God apathy. And if there's any type of sloth that is most deadly, it has to be this. So if you're, if you're getting a little weary, if you're getting a little slothful and you're listening, wake up right now because this is the most important part of the sermon just yet, okay? Um, in fact, many in the church tradition taught that apathy towards God is at the core of sloth. It's at the core of what sloth is. Aquinas, he called it the resistance to the divine good in us. And this is really dangerous because it leads you away, it causes you to resist what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in your life. And that's exactly what DeYoung says in her book. The gift of the Holy Spirit, our new identity in Christ, those are the targets of sloth's resistance. Sloth tries to resist everything that the Holy Spirit is trying to do and transform in your life. You know, we've been in this series called Resurrected Life, and now we're in Pentecost. And we're talk, we've been talking about the last seven, eight weeks, about how the risen Jesus the whole, and the Holy Spirit can resurrect, can transform our lives, and I'm worried that, that sloth it can take everything that you've heard for the past seven or eight weeks. It can take everything you've, you've heard and we've discussed about transformation and, and life in Christ, and it can make you go, "eh, heard that before, heard this, heard this all before this." I, I don't, you know, don't really. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm good, I'm comfortable. You know, sloth will let you hear sermon after sermon. It will let you sing song after song, come to church week after week, and let nothing, no change happen in your life. Can you see why that's so deadly? It keeps you in lukewarm Christianity. It keeps you nice and comfortable. Sloth is so deadly because it makes you lazy about God. And it kills the resurrected life. It kills our relationship to God. And the reality is this can manifest in doing nothing and being lazy, or it can manifest in doing everything. You do everything you can to distract yourself from the call that God has on your life and from the cost of his mission. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his day, he lamented the cheap grace that he saw in the church. And he wrote a book called The Cost, The Cost of Discipleship. Friends, there's a cost. It's a cost to come and die. To die to all apathy, to all sloth, to all apathy towards yourself, to all apathy towards others in the church, to all apathy towards God. It's a call to die to all purposeless, to all passionless living, and to commit yourself to a passionate and loving God, to be all in. That's the cost of discipleship. And this is how the Holy Spirit wants to work and send us into this type of life and type of church. And I ho- my hope is that all of you someday when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, When all this is said and done, I know for me and I want for you to be able to hear those words from Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant, not well half done, not well you intended to kind of get around to it someday, but you never got to, now here we are. I don't want to hear that and I hope you don't want want to hear that either. We want you to hear Jesus say, well done, you finished the task and the purpose for which I have called upon your life. And my grace empowered you to do it, and you did it. Friends, don't waste your one life. Don't waste the one call that God has on your life. You know, we've, as I move to closing this morning, we've spent the last seven, eight weeks talking about the deadly sins, talking about the resurrected life. And I have to admit, you know, and maybe this is my flesh, but I'm always concerned as a pastor that what gets said just stays here. And maybe that, you know, I know God takes it and God uses it, but I believe that you're here and if you're human like me, there's a struggle in your life. And I believe, you know, maybe there's a part of you that really wants this transformed life. You want to be on fire for Jesus. You want to be set ablaze. You want to be all in. A life passionately committed to God and others. Yet there's a part of you that wants to keep your life the same. That wants to stay comfortable. That wants to keep things as is. Because things are good. Things are easy. And there's no way that you can defeat that struggle without the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of a community. You can't defeat that on your own. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer to close out this series because at some level the deadly sins are in all of us and we need Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit to come and to transform and renew. And on Pentecost Sunday, what better day to invite the Holy Spirit to transform your life forever, to come in and to renovate and to renew and to restore every area of your life, every relationship, every mindset, every attitude, every decision, even those daily decisions. We need the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. So I would ask everybody just to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm not going to make you do anything crazy. I'm just asking you to pray. Just go to, just go to that spirit. Just go to that place with God. Envision yourself. Standing before the Lord. Think about your commitment to Jesus. Think about the apathy that rises up, even your heart, even maybe right now. How long will you wait to let God in and totally transform? My friends, don't delay anymore. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask everybody to say out out loud, repeat after me. And let's just pray this prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit to come and transform our lives. Please pray with me. And some of you, before I pray, you may may want to open up your hands out to the Lord just as a posture of saying, I am inviting you in. I'm inviting, I am surrendering. I am, I am, laying my life before you, Lord. Let us pray. O Holy Spirit, Spirit, I invite you into my life. life. Come fill my heart, mind, and soul. soul. Change Change me from the inside out. Root out the weeds of sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Make me eager to love you and to love others as I love myself. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Have your way. From this day forward, Lead me in the way of resurrection life. In In your name, name. Amen. amen. Friends, may you continue as you go from here to not let this stay here, to let the Holy Spirit transform you. We're going to sing our closing hymn this morning. Would you please stand? So we sing number 293, O Holy Spirit, making whole.